0: Hey y'all. It's the Christmas season, and some of my podcasts and investipods and friends wanted to bring you a Christmas time collaboration. You'll hear stories told by creators from the following podcasts Deep Dark Secrets, True Crime PI, Extinguished, Crimepedia, Walking the Line, Murder and Mimosas, Crime Over Cocktails, True Crime Authors and Extraordinary People your favorite true crime podcast with Gavin Fish, and me, Richie Buck from Santa May Be a Criminal. I'm going to remind you what I always remind you, but this right here is what we in the biz call a trigger warning. So here goes. This podcast contains talk about criminal activity, including violence and murder. It may include a few cuss words, and it's probably not appropriate for your youngins, so you might want to earmuff them or send them outside to play. Now, before we get started, I want to mention three more things. I know, I know, get to it, Buck, but we Southerners like to talk. First up, any opinions in these stories are solely those of the specific creators presenting the story. Suspects mentioned in these tales are considered innocent unless proven guilty in a court of law, and these are real stories about real people people who experience unimaginable horror and tragedy. The most important thing we can do to honor the victims and the families of these stories is play an active role in our justice system, remain vigilant in our understanding of our surroundings and support organizations that work to make sure these stories remain the exception and not the rule. And just so you know, some of these stories are going to be long, some of them are going to be short, but you never know what you're going to get until you tune in. Thanks for listening.
1: You're listening to True Crime PI, an investigative podcast that explores unsolved, missing, and unidentified persons cases from the 70s, 80s, and 90s.
2: Welcome to True Crime PI. I'm your host, Dana Pohl. In the United States, there are over 200,000 unsolved missing, murdered, and unidentified persons cases. In order for justice to be served, these cases need to be shared. So what are we waiting for? Let's solve a cold case. This episode discusses the sexual assault and murder of a child. Listener discretion is advised. On Sunday, December 23, 1973, John Swally, his five year old son, and eight year old daughter Sherry left Columbus, Ohio, and began their journey to Disney World in Orlando, Florida. The park had just opened in 1971 and John thought this trip would be the perfect Christmas gift for his children. Sherry and her brother were excited to meet Mickey and Minnie and all of their lovable friends. And as if just being in the Magic Kingdom wasn't enough, the Swally family would attend the very magical, very Merry Christmas parade. Hosts Mike Douglas and Joan London would be joined by Elvin and the Chipmunks, Donald and Daffy Duck, Mickey and Minnie Mouse, Dumbo, Goofy, Mary Poppins, and of course, Santa Claus in his sleigh, pulled by eight tiny reindeer. What a magical day it would be. Anyone who has traveled long distances with children knows a successful trip requires preparation. John planned ahead and decided to divide the trip into two days. The family would make a pit stop in Atlanta where John arranged to stay with Clyde Williamson, a co-worker he met at the Westinghouse Electric Company in Columbus, Ohio. John thought stopping in Atlanta for the night would be safer than driving through central Georgia and on into Florida on Sunday evening, when most gas stations were closed. Late Sunday afternoon, the Swalleys arrived safely at Clyde's address at the Paysetter Apartments Complex. The complex had just opened in March of 1971. It had been advertised in the Atlanta Constitution as a place to live that set the pace for cosmopolitan Atlanta. The designers had a vision of what they called an open society, where people of all backgrounds could live and play together. Clyde's apartment was in the area of the complex reserved for families, which meant Sherry and her little brother could play with the neighborhood children while John caught up with his friend. Clyde's neighbor, Mrs. Carolyn Ellis, had graciously offered to make dinner for him and the Swalleys that evening. After dinner and a good night's rest, the Swalleys would travel the remaining six and a half hours to Orlando to celebrate Christmas Eve at the most magical place on earth. But even the most perfectly laid plans could not have prepared this family for the evil that awaited them. Let me walk you through the timeline of the afternoon and evening events. As I mentioned, the Swalleys arrived at Clyde's apartment around 4 p.m. on Sunday, December 23rd. Sherry and her brother joined a group of children who were playing outside. Around 6.30 p.m., John sees Sherry playing with a group of children. Sometime between 7.30 and 8 p.m., Carolyn Ellis asks Sherry to run over to Clyde's apartment to let him and her father know dinner is ready. This is the last time Sherry is seen alive. News articles indicate that John reported his daughter missing about two hours later between 9 and 9.30 p.m. At 9.32 p.m., a young-sounding male calls the police department, refuses to identify himself, but says there is a dead girl at Skipper Place in the Setter apartment complex. Two patrol cars and an ambulance are dispatched. The officers conduct a brief search of the area, but find nothing. The following morning at about 10.30 a.m., the police conduct another search and find Sherry's body clad in a blue sweater on a grassy slope about 40 yards from one of the apartment buildings in full view of at least 150 apartments. She had been stabbed in the chest 25 times with a thin blade knife. Her face had been slashed several times and she had been sexually assaulted. The rest of her clothing was found in a wooded area nearby. Detectives believe Sherry's killer called the police the previous night, but when the officers didn't find her body, he returned to the scene and carried or dragged her some 70 feet to the location where she was found. Sherry's murder is reported across the country the Atlanta police tell reporters that they are following leads and have interviewed more than 50 people, but they do not have any suspects. An article published in the Atlanta Constitution on January 15, 1974, states that at some point, Sherry was seen in the company of a black teenage boy wearing an army jacket. On January 29, 1974, the Atlanta Journal reports that six slayings have occurred at the setter Apartments since it opened 10 months before five victims had been shot. Sherry was the only victim who had been stabbed and sexually assaulted. Three weeks after Sherry was murdered, on Sunday, January 13, 1974, 10-year-old Patricia Ann Walker, a fifth grader at William M. Boyd School, disappeared. That evening, her mother asked her to run to the neighbor's house to pick up two cans of beer. Patricia was last seen around 7.30 p.m., leaving the neighbor's house. At 10 p.m., neighbors found the paper bag containing the beer just around the corner from the neighbor's home. Sometime after midnight, Patricia's body was found behind the school in a wooded area. She was lying on her back, naked from the waist down. There appeared to be massive bruises on her chest, arms, and legs. Reports indicate she died from compression injuries to the neck and chest, that the medical examiner speculated were the result of someone either sitting on her or applying significant force with their forearm. Police questioned and arrested a 15-year-old juvenile who lived nearby. His name was never released, but he was tried as an adult. Because I don't know his name, I was unable to confirm if he was sentenced for Patricia's murder. Could this juvenile have also murdered Sherry? The crime lab said, that there was no evidence of a connection between Patricia and Sherry's murders. However, one investigator said the killings were consistent with one another and that the force used on the victims was an indication of a, quote, deranged mind or psychological condition induced by drugs, unquote. Sherry was described by her father as a bright, friendly child who did well in school. She was an innocent eight-year-old girl, looking forward to spending Christmas with her brother and her father in the happiest place on earth. Instead, she was stabbed and sexually assaulted. The person responsible for her brutal death has never been caught. This is a crime of the worst kind. And unfortunately, Sherry's case doesn't just feel cold. It feels like it has been frozen solid for years. If you listen to season one of True Crime P.I., you will remember my friend, retired Cobb County Homicide and Cold Case Detective, John Dawes. When he led the Cobb County Cold Case Unit, he and his team solved 11 cases in just five years. With so little information available on Sherry's case, I reached out to Detective Dawes and asked him this question. If someone handed you this case, Where would you start your investigation?
1: I would, uh, of course, begin by reading through the file a couple of times and familiarizing myself. As far as the area, it's kind of almost comical, um, talking about this new wonderful place geared for families, uh, upscale but affordable, and with a little bit of knowledge of that particular area, not going back into the 70s, but in the 80s, 90s, and 2000. I'm not surprised that there were a number of homicides and uh, violent crime in close proximity, even the first year. So I think the first thing that I would look at is child crimes in the area. Um, and that takes. Uh, a lot of research, but it's only 10 or 12 miles probably from where the body of nine-year-old Deborah Lynn Randall was found in January of 1972. The two girls being close in age, both being sexually assaulted and murdered, Um Deborah Lynn Randall was strangled, but I would have to look at the possibility of a connection with those two crimes and the crime that you mentioned with another child. But I think the most important part that I would want to look at is physical evidence. What has been retained by the origin agency? Do they still have it? Um, Does the medical examiner still hold any evidence in Fulton County from the examination? Does the crime lab still hold any evidence from the examinations and analyses that they were able to do in 1973, because if I'm looking at it in 2023, uh, there's been a lot of change in the last 50 years in science and technology. So after reading through the file and then getting my ducks in a row with what evidence there is, what evidence there is not, what's been tested what kind of testing was done, and what's available now would be where I would begin to focus. If I have anything to test, that's potentially going to solve the crime. Because if I can develop DNA, like we did in the Deborah Lynn Randall case, if it doesn't hit in CODIS, the bad guy still doesn't get away because you have genetic genealogy now that's going to identify some things for you. So we can develop the ancestry and, um, and hopefully eventually get to who who did this there is a system at the GBI where they can link cases where there's a a likeness in the crime and there's a likeness uh, where there's the same contributor of DNA or hair evidence so there's a lot of things that can be done I would want to go back and do some interviews the first thing that I want to do is interview identify and locate these other kids that this little girl was playing with. I wanna go talk to them because now they're adult. I'm sure that each and every one of them remember and they they probably have deposited the uh, facts of that day and, and what ended up being found out the next day, deposited those into their subconscious somewhere, but I'd love to pull it out because God only knows what they can contribute. And then I would wanna go talk to Carolyn what's the time frame from when she dispatched this little girl to tell him dinner's ready and then what time did he get there is that five minutes did he never show did he come an hour later um these are all things that i would want to find out in 1973 if they didn't have record of what phone number this call came from e- even in 1973 you could subpoena bill south and come up with whose number that was. So I want to know if they did that. Did they ever identify this call? Because that's crucial. There are things about the scene that I think I would want to study on and have my ducks in a row about and see if it ties in with what's developing as far as a suspect. One is her clothing that was removed had to hold tons of valuable evidence. Um, And that goes back to, was it retained? Did they still have it? But then she was removed from that scene where obviously the sexual assault and most likely the death occurred. Um, And she was placed in an open area to be found. Just the thought of a suspect stabbing a little girl 25 times, but then being motivated to move her body where she could be discovered. Um, that that's a contradicting and disturbing situation. And, um, that should be very telling about the right suspect. I think the, the, the need for the body to be found. It's not that she was put out there to show. It's not that she was put out there to be staged um for humiliation and embarrassment and blah 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 it's about wanting her to be recovered um stabbing 25 times and wanting the the little girl to be discovered are very contradicting and that's that's really really interesting to me so um i might have to make some contact with people smarter than me to find out what that's about but that would be my chronological list of of things that i would want to to begin with and get started on i think the case is really, really solvable. I had um, the newspaper article mentions an officer Krebs, Ed Krebs, uh, who was an Atlanta patrolman at the time. I actually had the opportunity to to meet with him um, and starting in 2014 he had retired from Atlanta, was an investigator for the Cobb County District Attorney where I was working heading up the cold case unit. So we actually talked about this case a little bit and I can tell you that in 2014, which was a long time from 1973, this case still bothered him. Um, and it, it was uh, something that he thought about, something that he um, cried about, something that he always wondered if anything had ever been done or could ever be done. So that's the kind of effect this type of case has on a a tough and gritty cop.
2: 50 years have passed since Sherry Lynn Swalley was murdered. My hope is that the Atlanta Police Department will follow Detective Daw's lead and reinvestigate this case. The media has forgotten the story of the little girl who was killed in Atlanta on her way to Disney World. But I haven't, and now you won't be able to. My wish this holiday season is for Sherry's case to be solved and justice to be served. If you have any information about the 1973 murder of Sherry Lynn Swalley, please contact the Atlanta Police Department Homicide Unit at 404 546 4235 or Crime Stoppers Atlanta at 404 577 TIPS. Special thanks to Detective Dawes for sharing his expertise in cold case investigations. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter, like our True Crime PI Facebook page, and join our Facebook group to discuss the case featured in each episode. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a minute to rate and review it. Ratings and reviews attract listeners and ultimately result in more exposure for these cases. Visit my website at truecrimepi.com to suggest a case and if you're feeling generous, click on the Buy Me a Coffee link to support this podcast. Thank you for listening.
1: True Crime P.I. is written and edited by Dana Pohl. Theme music, CD Streets, and Come Out and Play, written and performed by the very talented Darren Curtis at DarrenCurtisMusic.com.
0: I urge you to listen to all the podcasts that are contributing to this project. Deep Dark Secrets, True Crime P.I., Extinguished, Crimepedia, Walking the Line, Murder and Mimosas, Crime Over Cocktails, True Crime Authors and Extraordinary People, Your Favorite True Crime Podcast with Gavin Fish, and of course, Santa May Be a Criminal. Now, remember, always, 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 Be nice.